What's the buzz? Tell me what's a happening. This is Pyromaniac Mo and Stags coming at you for the first episode of the Pyro Light Podcast. It's June 24th, 2015, in my man Stag Party on the other side of the pond. How are things going in Chicago? Oh, not bad, not bad. We're uh, got some nice weather here, a couple strings, a couple nice days together for once. Uh, I think it rained all last week. Uh, and then they told me we were going to start doing this podcast. I, I kind of talked to them about it a little bit. And they're like, oh, we're going to ca- call it Pyro Heavy. And I'm like, no, we're not. Like, me, me and Mo aren't that heavy, man. I've seen you, like, drink 27 uh, IPAs, and you're going to call me heavy? This is Pyro Light, baby. We've got a whole new spin on things. We're going to keep it nice and easy. Uh, the plan is, during the season, we're going to do this on Fridays. Uh we do our regular podcast during the season Tuesday nights, uh, so you don't really get any of the early uh, injury update kind of action or anything like that. So this is going to be more of that end-of-the-week updates, uh, how things have moved in player rankings and things along those lines, uh, and you know a bunch of different things, injury updates, swings in player rankings, gaining and losing jobs. I, I assume there'll be some, like, Streamers of the week in there because I think we're all kind of big on that with maybe QB, tight end, defense, and kicker. Some the two week too early pickup, a guy you'll want in a couple weeks, you should probably pick up. You know, kind of daily lineup sort of things, values where they wouldn't be values, guys we're liking, guys we're not liking, some bold predictions. And I think we're going to do the Pyro Power Ranking Lock of the Week, sort of survival pool you know, kind of thing, where we give you the numbers off the what the Pyro Power Rankings thinks, because uh, they usually do pretty well in, you know, predicting, you know, games. Yeah, uh, you know, the we're still going to be doing it, you and the boys will still be doing it uh, 50 weeks a year, and we're going to play around with it this summer, try to develop some set segments, and then, like you say, every Friday, um, you know, come up with the most up-to-date uh, material, let people know, like you said, some injuries and news and notes going into the weekend. And that's why I kind of like uh, the summer. We've got to develop some of those uh, set segments. You know, we're going to do a rookie spotlight, investigate some uh, players, like you say, ADP risers and fallers. So it's going to be exciting. A little bit more set um, as far as the podcast goes than the regular um, but yeah, like you say, it's pyro light. But I look at it as we are bringing fantasy football light to the world. So, without further ado, my friend, let's do some Huey Lewis and the news and notes. Philadelphia Eagles, Jordan Matthews. Now there was early speculation that um, Aguilar would play in the slot, slot, but it appears that Jordan Matthews is going to retain that role. Did you know no other player was in the slot more last year than Matthews? 92.4%. On June 18th, CSN Philly noted that Matthews has still been lining up in the slot in most three wide receiver sets. Um, You know, I'm not sure which cat for Philly is going to go off, but I would guarantee one of those guys is going to be a wide receiver number one this year. Uh, I'm tempering my expectations a little bit on the one talk. But, yeah, a very high two. I like him in the 15 to 17 range for Jordan Matthews. One of the reasons Chip Kelly likes guys to play in the slot uh, who are bigger is because they can block the zone read better and they can get out and cut out and take out linebackers. Uh, So he likes having a bigger slot player for his blocking aptitude, actually. 
So that's one of the reasons they expect Aguilar to play on the outside a little bit more, use his uh, kind of speed and quickness. You know, he's very good at running the nine route, and he's very good at, you know, beating defenders deep. So I think it's going to be an interesting blend. I think both will be very good plays. I don't know if they're going to get up to the true, you know, top 10 to 12 numbers like, you know, Macklin did last season and like Deshaun did the season before that. But I think both could be – I mean, I think Jordan Matthews is a solid two, and I think Aguilar is a solid three. I think it's going to be a little bit more balanced. I think it'll be a lot – I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think the NFC – East in general is going to be a lot of fun to watch with all the kind of offensive firepower that I kind of got going on in that division this season. Yeah, Chip Kelly especially. And uh, I'm going to spotlight Aguilar because I'm really high on him uh, coming up in a bit. But Chip Kelly, I'm just excited to see if he uh, is the genius that many people think he is or if he's going to kind of fall on his face because there's no one to blame but him. He's the one pulling the strings. Uh, Another guy that I'm high on, Zach Ertz. Um... Jimmy Kemsky from the Philly Voice said he's been the most impressive eagle at camp so far and should garner big-time numbers this season. Uh, he and Bradford, I've seen from several beat writers, have been developing a real chemistry, which is huge. Um, Ertz last year finished as a number 14 tight end for total points, but he could be sitting on a breakout season. If you just look last year, uh, week 16, he had 18 targets, 15 receptions, 115 yards in that was his highest total all year by far, and he still finished as number 14. I think he's sitting on a breakout year this year with Zach Ertz. Yeah, I, abs- I absolutely kind of agree with you. Here's a couple things. You know, that 15 receptions is like a Philly franchise record, so no receiver has even had, you know, as good a number as 15 receptions in a game. I think 18 targets is also a Philly franchise record, and they made a concerted effort to get him the ball. They'll definitely be doing that again. Uh, I, I, from what I hear, him and Tony G were hanging out, uh, talking over some food, uh, you know, getting a little, you know, getting some advice from the greatest ever play the position. So you can't go wrong in doing that if you're Ertz. He's also been working on his blocking to stay on the field a little bit more. Can't complain, you know, doing all the things right. He's a big guy, he's a fast guy, and he's in an elite offense. So, you know, I think I just pushed him up to tight end number five in my rankings, uh, well ahead of Martellus Bennett now at this point for me. Uh, Bennett's just a guy I'm not going to target, and, you know, definitely ahead of that Julius Thomas cat who chased the money. Well, yeah, uh, I also read that he went out to, to dinner with. Uh, Gonzalez, and uh, you know, I don't know how much wisdom one man can uh, pass along to another man over some chimichungas, but it is Tony Gonzalez, whatever. Uh, but yeah, working on his blocking, I think that's huge because Selleck, um, just because I think of Brent Selleck's blocking, really limited Ertz's time on the field. And if he can capitalize on his blocking, he's going to be on the field more, which is good for fantasy and good for Ertz owners. Uh, Coming at you from the Philly still, we've got Josh Huff. Uh, he's really been struggling. Huff is currently listed as fifth on the depth chart, but gosh, even number six, I'm not sure if I'm going to say it right, but Seiyi Ejirotutu is pushing him from that spot. I've seen several beat writers complaining about Josh Huff. Um, although it's doubtful Cooper is really going to retain the number three spot, Josh, Josh Huff, who many people were really high on, has not been getting good press. So he might just be one to watch going forward. Yeah, he's starting to tumble out of my rankings a little bit, uh, getting close to being completely out. Seiji Iratutu is, you know, a special oh, man. Player. 
he's he's going to be on the field. I mean, just because he's a special teamer, he's gonna he's probably going to make the team, and that sort of is going to leave Cooper on the outside by default. Uh, I think Jordan Matthews will stay, you know, in the slot. And Aguilar's, you know, everything Huff's doing is just making Aguilar's job even easier to get on the field early, uh, especially as a return man, which he can do. So the question is, is Huff even going to retain any value in, as a special team returner? Yeah, and that's where you got to know your league, right? Some leagues, you're going to find value in that if you get points for um, return touchdowns, return yards, but uh, that could really save him as his special team's contribution. Um, another guy from Philly, Darren Sproles. Um, Chip Kelly realizing, I think he's got a crowded backfield, has been um, looking to utilize Sproles as many ways as possible, and he's actually been lining up as a receiver in some of the OTAs. Uh, his current ADP is 50th. He's the 50th running back off the board in standard and 44th in P, um, PPR. His ADP has taken a hit in the last month. Uh, both formats really falling um, a full round, basically. So if indeed Kelly can incorporate him in the passing game and get him lined up, I, I think that's great. Sproles is on my radar, at least for PPR formats, not so much in standard. Another Philly bit of news, uh, which is going to impact the running game. Evan Mathis was released. Uh, he wanted the money. I guess they weren't willing to pay him. Uh, he was released by the Eagles. I think this is a huge impact on the running game. Uh, Pro Football Focus rated him the second-best offensive guard last year. So it, their run game has got to take a hit because of that. Now, I don't know if I'm going to knock anyone down my charts just because of it, but I'm going to definitely watch the offensive line during preseason. They were really nicked up a lot last year, and I think losing Mathis could be a big hit. Uh, moving elsewhere, the Cowboys, Ryan Williams. Now, this dude, he, he missed some time already due to swelling in the knee, and he's likely on the bubble. Jerry Jones, he's gone on record as saying that he's pretty comfortable spreading the ball between three guys. Of course, that's Randall, McFadden, and Dunbar. He went on to say that he's cool opening the season with a three running back backfield on his 53-man roster. You know, Williams, of course, he got a lot of press. He was a great running back from Vatek coming out. Torres Patella tendon in the preseason of his rookie year, 2011, and the dude has just never been the same. I remember him. He was red-shirted in Vatek. His first year had like 1,500 yards. was just amazing. Uh, that patella tendon, this is the same thing that uh, dinged up Victor Cruz, and I started doing some research. Um, patella tendon, uh, if you rupture your patella, it, it has to be repaired arthroscopically, so it requires a massive open procedure, and these surgeries have really painful, lengthy rehabs, and the deal is for six weeks after the surgery, the joint has to be immobilized, like in a cast, so that it can heal, and the bad part about this is the surrounding muscles are unused, and they start to um, suffer atrophy, and they start to degrade, so not only are you rebuilding uh, the tendon, but all the muscles around it. Um, and mechanics must be retrained, uh, the cutting must be retrained, muscle memory. It's like a six months before you can even attempt to run again and make cuts and it, it juke. Um, Cruz, which I'm kind of jumping around here, but you've seen how it's affected Ryan Williams. He's never been the same. Uh, Victor Cruz... Never even, I don't think he's even played the snap. No. He has 
preseason, I believe you're right. He, he goes from like his 2000, whatever, 11, 2012. I guess it was 2011 is when he got injured. And yeah, never played a regular season snap. I believe you're right. Um, Cruz, and he was fantastic in college, Cruz suffered his injury uh, October 12th of last year. So we're talking six months before the dude was even allowed to run. Uh, it's not going to be good. So I kept in fascinated by this, but since 1994 to 2004, there were uh, 24 patella tendon injuries in the NFL. Of those, all but one came back to play, but you can't really compare how they were post-injury to pre-injury. Uh, so everyone came back, everyone except one, but almost all of them seemed to lose explosiveness. Here are some names for you. Maurice Claiborne, Cowboys. Uh, he was the sixth pick in uh, 2012. Now, he had a decent campaign, but you know, there's a lot of other talk about why he was perhaps not as good as he should have been. Skandrick outplayed him, uh, but he might not even make the team. Cadillac Williams, rookie 2005, had six games over 100 yards, including his first three. Torres Batella 10 in 2007, never the same. Carell Buckhalter, uh, he was another big one. It just seems like nobody has really been able to rebound. So, well, you can pretty much write off Ryan Williams. I'm kind of concerned for Victor Cruz, which maybe could be a good thing for Ruben Randall and um, some of the other giant receivers. Uh, the Preseason star Corey Washington? Is that who you're going to try to talk about? <laughs> no? I mean, let's, let's I was be just, realistic I was looking at here. some other, some other let's guys. Let's be but, realistic uh, here. It's helping Ruben Randall, and Ruben Randall is... I've got uh, Victor Cruz on my uh, Dynasty League, and uh, I'm not too happy with it. And I'm not even so sure how happy I am with Ruben Randall. Everyone always talks him up, but I've never seen him really produce. But he's certainly going to have an opportunity Check out his last two games of the season. He's going to have the opportunity now. Yeah, he's going to have his last two games of the season. How did he do his last two games of the season? Uh, like hmm, 300 yards combined over the last two. I think he had 162 in one and 138 in the other, something like that. I was, uh, and very well, very well. I was on him last year when he was getting all those targets. He just never seemed to really turn it into anything, but he's going to have a hell of an opportunity. Certainly ODB, obviously, uh, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not too bullish on uh, Victor Cruz. Can we talk um, about somebody I am bullish on? Well, how you feel about Des? Des Bryant. I, I feel pretty good about Des Bryant, even though he's sitting there and he's posturing and he's talking about, hey, I'm not going to play the first game of the year if they don't give me this new deal. He still showed up in the last day of OTAs, although he didn't really practice. He just kind of sat there and hung out with Terrence Williams on the sideline before he suffered a little injury scare himself. Uh and then he went out and he shot some highlight tapes and he shot some pictures for NBC and Sunday Night Football, uh, you know, pushing that sort of agenda. So you got to think he's going to be back. But then the team's talking about him and, you know, Stephen Jones are talking how they're further away than they've ever been. But the real question about Des Bryant, whatever happened to that Walmart parking lot video? Like, how much did he have to pay <laughs> to get that thing, like, gone? Because he obviously needs a new pot contract to, like, you know, re-up his bank accounts after that thing. He must have spent a lot of coin to get that thing buried. 
Stags, you are doing some investigative reporting, and we're learning a lot about you tonight, and you're, you're bilingual. Uh, what was the sixth, <laughs> sixth wide receiver name in Philly? A tutu? Seiji or a tutu? He, did you just swear out. at me? Did you swear at me in Swahili? Come on. I think I did. I think I did. Yeah. Um, here, the real story coming out of uh, Dallas probably is the running back situation. That's the one that everybody cares about, right? And Joseph Randall's going to enter training camp as the starter. Uh, but then today I was just reading around and like, oh, you know, let's check out some Joseph Randall news. It's like every day there seems to be something different. Like it's his job to lose, or they're gonna spread the spread the touches around through everybody. Uh, you know, it's like great. They're gonna give it to Dunbar and McFadden. That's gonna be split, and he's gonna be their one A. Blah blah blah. But then I read somewhere today, uh, one of the other fantasy analysts went out there and said he would have no problem spending a first round pick on Joseph Randall. And I almost like crap myself. What do you that's, think about that, Mo? That's pretty damn high. Now, I was I was going to bring up some stuff about uh, Dez, but uh, Joseph Randall, I think he's leading the pack, but first round, um, I've got yeah. him 25, 24, 23 right now. My running back 23, tier 7. Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Uh, right around, you know, running back any anywhere after 20, I'm okay. Uh Dude, I mean, especially if he's a part of a committee, I understand the appeal. 22% of his touches last season went for 10 or more yards, which is just crazy. But the one stat that really stood out for me is 214 of his 344 yards came after contact. And you got to just think about this offensive line getting the most yards before contact. And yeah. then, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's in a fant he's in a fantastic situation. Fantastic situation. Um, th with the line he's got now, do you really think Randall's going to win the job outright, or do you think it's going to be more of a uh, split carry situation? I think it's going to be a split carry situation, but that offensive line is so good that I think he's going to be the top guy getting 15 to 18 touches. I see Dan Dunbar getting like three to five, mostly on third down. And I see, you know, Darren McFadden in sort of a spell roll of, you know, maybe 10, 12 touches. Uh, the real question is who's going to get the goal line work. Yeah. Because that I, I feel like that's going to be the biggest differentiator of all these guys. Uh, I think Randall will end up the season with the most touches, but who's going to get the goal line work? That's the biggest question I have. It's not going to be Dunbar. So is it going to be Randall? Is it going to be McFadden? McFadden's bigger, you know, but, you know, 3.9 yards a carry. And you get a little nervous. So just I have some reservations, but that's why he's not ranked in the top 20 for me. If he, I had no reservations, I think he'd be easily, you know, top 15. So – let me ask you this. You're comfortable with him. I think I had him, what did I say, 23, 24. You're, yep. you're comfortable mid-20s. I've got Dez number two. Where do you have Dez? Uh, I moved him down a spot to number three okay. uh, at, just because the threat of sitting out a game and you know pissing me off right now. That's the only information I have to go on. Uh, I can easily, you know, Dez Bryant's Dez Bryant. I, I have no concerns about him when he gets on the field. Uh, it's only when he's off the field that I have concerns. The man is a monster. 
capable of catching two touchdown games, three touchdown games, 100-yard games easy, 150-yard games. You know, you can see him throw up 10 catches. You can see him throw up 15 catches. You can see him out-muscle three, receiver, uh, three defensive backs. You can see him, you know, out-muscle one. You can see him stomp over a safety on his way to the end zone. Des Bryant might be, if I had to start my team at wide receiver uh, in the back half of a draft, he's one guy I really want. I, I just put I, – I don't know if I can, like, bring myself to draft Antonio Brown over Des Bryant just because of the, you know, the appeal he has. Uh, and the, the strength of schedule for uh, Pittsburgh is bottom of the barrel. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Brown is – Strength of schedule proof, though. He's matchup proof. He proved it last year when he didn't have a single game with under 54 yards receiving. Uh, there's no, nothing that concerns me about Antonio Brown. The only thing that concerns me is, you know, he's not the biggest. And, you know, when you're looking for a prototypical number one wide receiver, like Des Bryant has, like, if he wore wide receiver one on his back, I would have no complaints if that were his football number. With uh, with Dez, I got into a bit of a back and forth on Twitter with Mike Clay, who was very down on Dez, and I I, I will I say I wouldn't say he was down on Dez. Well, he's saying that basically he was saying career year beware, that he's uh, in for a touchdown regression, and I did give him that thanks to our touchdown dependency chart, which you can get as part of the twenty dollar draft kit, which in my book is one of the best tabs we have for recognizing trends and looking for guys you might want to stay away from or guys you want to go towards identifying those guys who are uh, far too touchdown dependent. Now, Des Bryant, out of the top five guys who are the most touchdown dependent, this is the only one I'm not really worried about. 1% of his fantasy points came from touchdowns. But I'm not too worried about it. Um, I started doing some research on him. His touchdowns have risen every single year he's league. So you could have said he was touchdown dependent in 13. Where was his regret uh, when he had 13 touchdowns two years ago? Well, did he regress? No, he added three more. He had 16. So touchdowns have risen every year. He's gone for 1,000 yards in each of the last three seasons. Led the Cowboys in targets. Each of the last two led him in touchdowns. Each of the last three. With the departure of Murray and his 13 TDs, Cowboys are going to be looking for Bryant to pick up the slack. He's got eight targets inside the opposing five-yard line, second most in the league, scored on five of those occasions. What you got? I mean, the thing is, no player who's ever caught 16 touchdowns in a season has done it again. So, you know, history says it's not going to happen again. Do I see a major fall-off to where he falls up between below 10 touchdowns? No chance. But do I see him being in the 12 to 13 range pretty comfortably? Yeah. Uh, I think this offense is probably going to spread it around a little bit more. The touchdowns will probably just go around. You know, Witten was very low in touchdowns last year, and I think he's due for a little bit of a bump again this year. Uh, so other guys are going to get it. I think Cole Beasley will be more involved. Uh, Terrence Williams, I don't think he can be more involved in the touchdown department with the eight he had last season. But I just think they're going to spread it around. They've always kind of involved those second-tier tight ends, you know, pilfering touchdowns in the James Hannas and the Gavin Escobars of the world, and then they'll spread it out between those three running backs. There was a point last season where, as a Murray owner, when I was pissed, 
after like week eight, they just did not seem they rode him all the way down the field, but they did not give him red zone carries. And all of a sudden that changed later in the season and they gave him what, fifty eight total? Uh so you know, you just gotta try it. But expecting sixteen plus again is defining history. The way the biggest thing I saw, I love the fact he was second most in uh, targets inside the five, and the fact that Demarco Murray is leaving a thirteen touchdown void. I too think they're going to spread it around. I don't think Cole Beasley, with his size and weight, is going to be much of a red zone look. Uh, but thirteen touchdowns to make up for for Murray is a lot, and I think Des is going to be the Tony's go-to recipient for that. Moving over, moving up, moving on up. Uh, as the Jeffersons would say, moving on up. Uh, we're going to the Bills. Uh, E.J. Manuel, surprise, surprise, surprise. Looks as though he has pulled ahead in the three-man quarterback race in Buffalo. Rex Ryan praised his work, uh, particularly noting a touchdown pass and his work in the two-minute drill. Uh, you know, Rex has made it known in the past that he likes Tyrod Taylor, but lately he's been all about manual. You know, <clears throat> originally the safe money, I thought, was on uh, Castle. But Vic Karukas from the Buffalo News said Castle has easily been the worst-looking quarterback in camp. He goes on to say that, quote, Castle doesn't move well, doesn't always throw the prettiest ball, and has easily, easily had the worst-looking practice performances of all the quarterbacks. The fact that the staff is, you know, pumping up manual, I don't know, it, it could be nothing more than them trying to boost the, the second-year player's ego, but I don't know. He could be one to watch in camp coming up. Entering your third year as a the highest, you know, quarterback picked in that draft, yeah, they're going to stroke you off. They're going to stroke you off long and hard. Eventually, Castle, he's never been a practice player. Nobody ever liked having Matt Castle uh, on their team as their, you know, backup quarterback until he gets in the game and, you know, takes the Patriots to ten wins. Uh, he never looks good. He, I don't think he's looked good since high school. I mean, didn't play at USC, didn't play for the Patriots all those years, played, you know, good for the Patriots for that one year, got himself, you know, a nice little deal, went to Kansas City, played decent for a year, and then went downhill from there played decently to start last season. I mean, his numbers weren't out of this world, but they were looking good, and he was the exact kind of veteran presence that they were looking for at the time. I think it's just going to come down to what they're looking for at the quarterback position and whether they think they can give up on E.J. Manuel or if they're just going to hand him the reins uh, a little bit, you know, just reluctantly because, hey, we spent this, you know, you were the first quarterback drafted. Prove us right. Please. And the only well, way to do that is on the game field. And whoever takes over the reins, it's going to be a run-heavy attack, attack with Greg Roman's offense, which brings us to uh, Fred Jackson. Now, there's been talk about him possibility, uh, the possibility of him not making the roster. Uh, he has even commented on it. Now, the chances are this is just the kind of stuff you hear from camp, but the dude, Fred Jackson, the dude is 34 years old. You know, McCoy is certainly the main man there. Carlos Williams, though, he's impressed. He's had a, sh a good showing in camp. And uh, Anthony Dixon, who, you know, he was on uh, my waiver wire pickup at one point last year, never really showed much. He's pretty entrenched in special teams. So Fred Jackson is not. So Fred Jackson might 
possibly find himself suiting up uh, somewhere else. Hint, hint, Dallas or New England. They might come yeah. calling. Yeah, it's New England. Like, <laughs> by far, if Fred Jackson's leaving, he's going to New England. And, you know, he'll be the third down back, and he'll somehow catch 80 passes and be a value yet again. And that's just Fred Jackson for you. Sticking with the ground game in Tennessee, uh, they cut Sean Green. Now, although rookie uh, running back David Cobb has been slowed by a sore hamstring, uh, ESPN's Paul Kuharski says that he's the goal line back for sure, and he's going to get the short lar- short yardage work. Uh, Cobb should be the favorite for the early down work as well. If you remember, Sankey just averaged 3.7 yards a carry last year, and his footwork was always an issue. Uh, out of 152 carries in his rookie season, Sankey only had one that went for at least 20 yards. In fact, in the last 10 games last season, he was a... F- um, he was afforded at least nine carries. He only averaged better than four yards per carry two times. So I think the release of Green is certainly helps Cobb more than it does Sankey. Um, the, yeah, go I've, I've got to sort of agree with you there. I mean, I'm just not sure anything in the world like a hamstring injury can slow David Cobb down. Because that guy's already slower than Sean Green ever was. <laughs> I mean, dude is slow. But, yeah, he could probably average 3.7 yards a carry, too. Uh, and he'll probably do most of it after contact because he's slow. The man is slow. So they're going to need to get Bishop Seiki the ball. The question is, I think it's just going to end up being like a 50-50 split. I think Bishop Seiki is going to get you know, 12 carries, and David Cobb's going to get 12 carries, and they're going to cancel each other out. They're not going to be anybody that you want on your redraft team. Uh, but if you got to choose one today... Uh, I take to the lower drafted one, of course. You know, that bet on the other side of the committee, but on the lower drafted side of the committee in your draft, pick up the one who's you know drafted second, and he'll probably perform better than the starter. That's just the way it works. Yeah, if uh, Sankey's ADP continues to fall, he m- might. I'm going to say might with a small M. Might be a draft day value, uh, but boy, I'm a little scared to do it. But you know, if Cobb does the job, I think it's going to be later in the season, uh, and Sankey could very well be a starting quarterback, uh, starting running back in the NFL, and that could have some draft day value if he's falling uh, as he's continued to do with his ADP. Yeah, here's the thing. Sankey is going back to running from the shotgun if everything they say about this Marcus Mariota, a uh, little bit of spread offense is Yeah, back. like Russell Wilson, they say. If, if all those things, you know, sort of come back and he's running from the shotgun and, you know, he's better running from the shotgun. It's just what he was effective at in college. So let's see him be effective in something he was effective at before, uh, before writing him off completely. Um, give me some news from Carolina. What's going on over there? Oh, apparently, you know, Cam Newton got paid. Uh, that, that's whoop, about whoop. all I heard. That's all I heard. That's about all I heard. But the thing is, the thing that's exciting for fantasy owners, and the reason I just pushed them up to number four in my quarterback rankings, is they are just going to – wait – I can't t- I can't let this thoroughbred. I can't take the leash off him. I can't tame the thoroughbred. I I can't not let loose the thoroughbred. Uh, you can't hold back a thoroughbred. Whatever you want to call it, you just gotta unleash the guy. You just gotta let him run. 
and they know that. That's the way that they're going to be best offensively. And here's the things. You know, big receivers might have a case of the dropsies, but when they get their hands on these little cornerbacks, they flatten them. And, you know, it's going to be great for Cam Newton. With the size of this offense as a whole, this guy, you know, has a chance to approach those double-digit touchdowns on the ground again. Uh, so I'm loving Cam Newton. I think they're just going to unleash him, and there's no way you cannot. And I'd also like to give props to Cam Newton because he, he was just a great guy this week, and he went out and visited the families of the shooting victims in uh, Charleston uh, and, you know, kind of hung out with them and, you know, sent his condolences in person. And I felt like that was a great thing to do, uh, you know, and, you know, just prove that he's a franchise-type guy for the area. I like Cam, um, but, you know, his ADP right now, uh, he's, he's the seventh quarterback off the board, but he's going, you know, mid-sixth round. He, he's tumbled a little bit this month. He's going mid-sixth round, but you can get guys after him. You know, Matt Ryan, Brady, Tannehill, Eli Manning. Uh, I, I just don't think his ADP is worth it for me. I mean, he's a guy who can exceed his quarterback position. Uh, the other guys who were sort of being drafted ahead of him, let's see, Russell Wilson, uh, I don't think he can finish above number three. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Peyton Manning, uh, I don't think he can finish above number three. You know, you know, Drew Brees, I don't think he's got a chance to finish above number three this season. Who else is ahead of him right now? Matt Ryan probably is the last guy. I, uh, he's never done it before. Uh, Cam Newton's done it before, and if they're going to let the man run, then let him run. And I, if he comes to me in the sixth or seventh rounds, and I don't like anybody else there, I feel very good drafting a Cam Newton. And if there's times, you know, like when we draft and we do our mock drafts and we do our live drafts, because we, know, I know you're all waiting on quarterbacks, and I can get Cam Newton in the eighth, then it's just like, thank you, I will take this. You know, there's no complaints here on my side. He's a guy who could finish top two at the position. Um, I don't think anybody else has that upside. Uh, I mean, that's about it. See, Cam Newton, he I think he, he finished 17th last year, and he wouldn't have even done it if not for week six and week 14. There was only three total games where he put up more than 20 fantasy points. He you mean was, the games they let him run? He was... As he's getting older, he's running less and less and less, and you see that with all running quarterbacks. He, it ain't what it used to be. The old gray mare ain't what she used to be. Uh, I think it was just because he was injured. Uh, let's see, he had a rib, rib injury. He was coming off ankle surgery. I think he flipped his car in the middle of the season and stopped running. So all those things you know, sort of combined to not – Cam is superhuman for the position. And you you can't tell me he is going to make up for it as a running quarterback and then also discount his injuries. A lot of his injuries may come because he is a running quarterback. So if you're taking that running quarterback, you got to take the injuries with it. Yeah, but he's not coming off an injury this offseason. He was coming off an injury last offseason, so we discounted him. And you know he still played fairly enough, and then when they let him run, he put up great numbers last season. Uh, the two performances in which he ran the most were the times he had the best year. 
and that's just kind of the way it is. And he only played 14 games last season, averaged 17.6 fantasy points a game, which would have finished, what, top eight? You know, in terms of points per game. So you got to yeah, like he finished, him. Uh, what, 17th? Finished 17th overall, and then, yeah, points per game, top eight. You're right. God, you like Rain Man. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple talents here and there. And one of them is knowing that Cam Newton, with the reins off, is going to be amazing. And if you don't like waiting for a quarterback, like some of us do, uh, then Cam Newton's a great target. He could finish you know, top three at the position. Uh, I think he's got a clear chance to do that above some of these other guys who are being drafted ahead of him, like the Russell Wilson types. Uh, another guy on everyone's lips these days, Saints uh, tight end Josh Hill. What do you yes. think of him? I, I like Josh Hill. They're just throwing straight shade at Josh Hill right now. He's only going to be a sub-package player, and he can't block anybody, so Ben Watson's going to be on the field a lot. Uh, you know, Ben Watson's been catching all the passes in training camp and all that good stuff. And he's only going to play sub-package offense. And this is all from uh, Mike Triplett, uh, ESPN, you know, Saints reporter. And then just remember earlier in the offseason when Sean Payton was praising the man, saying, you know, we're perfectly comfortable with Josh Hill. Oh, you want to talk about Ben Watson? No, no, I'd rather talk about Josh Hill because this guy is an athletic specimen that even if he's playing here, – here's the thing about sub-packages and tight ends – Pretty much all of them play in sub-packages. Uh, let's see. The guys who don't are the Jason Witten types who never leave the field, the Heap Millers, you know, those old kind of guys who catch, like, mm, 65 passes and end up with, mm, you know, 750 yards and five touchdowns. But, you know, the guys who played in sub-packages last year, uh, who they move around a little bit, the Travis Kelseys, uh the Zach Ertz's of the world. Because Ertz played like less than 60% of the snaps last season. So, sub-package player. And last time I checked, the Saints use a lot of sub-packages, and they try to get their ball to their playmakers in space. So, yeah, keep telling me he's a sub-package player. Keep telling me you're driving his price down. Keep telling me all that. I'm still going to keep him ranked in my top ten. And he's doing my great tight end targets late in the draft if I don't keep Kelsey in the fifth. Excellent work. Um, just to do a quick pyro promo here, um, I was tweeting out some stuff recently, and I tweeted out uh, Mike Wallace that he had nine red zone TDs last season, and that is one less than his five seasons combined. Uh, I got that fact from uh, the red zone table that we're going to be putting in with pyro promo, or I'm sorry, pyro pro. Um, with Pyro Pro, you're going to get all kinds of great stuff coming out in July, but the red zone table is one of them, and it is fantastic. Just for the quarterbacks alone, there are 15 categories, 15 columns that you can look all with red zone numbers, and we do that for running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. It's going to be fantastic, so keep your eyes peeled for Pyro Pro coming out in July. Um so a couple bull. Well, yes, oh, yeah, well, go for it. Well, let, me, let, me, let me get in here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who are you, D-Rex? I mean, great pyro <laughs> promo. Uh, I think his own, like, what was D-Rex's advice? Keep it tasteful. Uh, and I'm like, 
Wait, dude, I'm, I've got the most taste of anybody I know. I wear socks and sandals. Ooh, are they black socks, too? Cause, Ooh, you know, no, ne- never black socks. <laughs> tucked in t-shirt that looks styling. Um, yeah, I, I did like the D-Rex uh, Keep It Classy. Thanks to that man, I now know what dogs in the tub are. Uh, bold predictions. Sit back for this one. Now, everyone likes to do bold predictions, but you know this one? I'm just going to say I think Jamal Charles could possibly finish outside the top five. Um, He turns 29 in December, and as we know, 29 is the new 30. Uh, A lot of times guys are hitting the wall at about 29. He's got over 1,500 regular career touches. That's uh, a little over 1,200 carries, a little over 262 catches. Um, Last season, though, with his catches, he had the sixth highest drop rate, uh, 13.4%. In 2014, he was 28 then, he's 29 now, or uh, he'll turn 29 in December. Uh, 2014, he injured his ankle, his foot, his back, his shoulder, his knee, his hamstring. And if you're looking for trends, um, Andy Reid's first year, which was 2013, from his first year to his next year, 2014, uh, Jamal Charles had 62 less passing plays that he was in on, 62 less passing snaps. From Andy Reid's first year to his next year, he was targeted 45 times less. Going back even further, from 2012 to 2014, he's had 79 carries. Went from 285, 259, 206. Uh, Yards, from 2012 to 2014, 476 less. Yards per carry, he's uh, 2012, 5.3, 2014, 5.0. And look at this one, 100-yard rushing games, 2012, 7. 2013, 4. Last year, Uno. So if you're looking at his trend, if you're looking at a, a bar graph, right, everything is shrinking, everything is going down. The amount of snaps he's in, the targets, the carries, the yards, yards per carry, 100-yard games, everything is going down. Now, besides his rookie year and his injured season, uh, it, last year was his lowest in yards per carry and total rushing yards. Um... There's this dude, Chase Stewart. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's at footballperspective.com. He does some really cool stuff. Uh, and Chase Stewart figured out that roughly about 4.13, 4.13 yards per carry is the average for the um, all running backs who had at least 100 yards. That's the average for, or I'm sorry, all running backs who had 100 carries. 4.13. If you took off Jamal Charles's five best runs, he's below that. So there is really just a couple things that notched him up, just a couple of runs that notched him up that without those, he's not there. Uh, He's not a free agent until 2018. And I kind of think that Casey is going to try to elongate his career a bit like 49ers did for a while with uh, Gore limiting his carries. They've got Niall Davis. He's not a free agent until 2017. Why not go with the tandem? All of this leads me to believe he's going to go outside the top five running backs. I'm getting in my Karate Kid crane pose. What you got for me? I'm coming for you, son. 
Uh, wax on, so, wax off, bitch. If, if we take out anybody's uh, top five carries, I, I hate everybody who does that. Uh, it, let me let me take out your five best test scores during the season and let me know what your test scores are then. Uh, and, and all those kind of stuff. I, I, I dislike that you know, statistical analysis. It doesn't really work for me. Nobody ever does it across the board. They just take it out for guys they think are statistical anomalies. And Jamal Charles isn't a statistical anomaly. Uh, a football perspective also put out today on Twitter uh, that Jamal Charles, uh, for yards adjusted, yards per carry uh, versus the generation, is historically one of the best running backs ever. Um Basically, because he averages, he's never averaged less than five yards a carry. He averaged 5.1 last season. Uh, Does Jamal Charles' yards per carry scare me at all? No. 5.1 last season. 14 touchdowns. Yeah, do the math, buddy. Do the math. (laughs) Round up from 5.099. So. 14 touchdowns last season, 19 the season before that. Uh, Andy Reid has you know, revived this guy's career because he gives it to him in the red zone, which nobody else would do before. So do I think he's going to be the 285-carry guy of 2012? No. Do I think he's going to get back to 240, 250 uh, type of carries? Yes. Do I think he's going to average five yards a carry? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to catch more passes next season? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to average uh, Justin Forsetti in 7.3 yards per catch? No chance. All these things make me to believe that Jamal Charles is going to finish inside the top five. Uh, and the real bold prediction is he finished seventh last year, so it's not that bold. Come on now, Mo. What else you got for me? Okay, my next one I think is a little bit stronger, but I, I will say to refute you, um, one, I'm not drafting Jamal Charles on his career. Uh, I'm with footballperspective.com. He is one of the best running backs, but I'd rather be the first guy off the train before it crashes than the last guy hanging on. Just saying. Uh, all right, how about this one? You so what's, what's 4.8 yards per carry? That's a big crash. Gosh, well, I'm not saying he's going to have 4.8, but much. now I will come at you with this. You did say Reed revived his career. If so, how come from Reed's first year to his second, Jamal Charles has suffered statistically in the amount of passing snaps he's been in, the amount of targets, amount of carries, amount of yards, yards per carry, and 100-yard rushing games. All of those have gone down from Andy Reed's first year to the next year. Just uh, saying Here's here's one for you. Here's one for you because I, I might have uh, got a little muddled there, or perhaps you did. But here's one for you. You're a Chicago boy, and, and and I'm I like Jamal. You know, I'm not as strong as I feel on the top five. Yeah, tops. I've got him rated seventh. Whatever. I'm saying he's out of the top five, but. Matt Forte, yeah, I'm Mario, pretty though. confident. Matt Forte is finishing hey, Mo, I out. I think you need to repeat that. You kind of cut out, bro. Can you hear me? Yep. All right. So, um, he had a, everyone knows he had a career year under Mark Trestman, who is now in Baltimore. He received 130 targets last year. Now, BT, before Trestman, 
<laughs> the most targets he received in a season was 76. 808 yards receiving under Tressman last year. BT, before Tressman, the most, he only went over for 500 yards receiving once in his career. The year before Tressman arrived, he averaged 11.8 fantasy points per game. Tressman's first year bumped up to 16.3. Now, Fox has already hinted at a reduction in Forte's numbers. He said, quote, We've always been believers in kind of a one-two punch and rolling guys through there, a wave of those guys to stay fresh. I've always had that approach with running backs. Now, under Tressman, during the past two seasons, Forte ranked fourth among all NFL running backs for carries, 555, and first for receptions, 176 receptions in the Tressman era. Uh, Forte, now this is something that is no way repeatable. Forte was on the field for a whopping 92% of the snaps last year. You, there has to be regression. That, that's just impossible to do again. Uh, keep in mind, they picked up Jaquiz Rogers in free agency. They drafted Langford. Um, so we're already talking about the, quote, wave of guys that Fox speaks of. Plus, they still have Kadeem Carey and even Daniel Thomas, although I don't know if he's on the roster when all is said and done. Uh, like Charles, I think Forte is going to start the season at uh, 29. Forte turns 30 in December. Forte's yards per carry dipped below four for the first time since 2009. All of this shows a downward trend, heading towards the inevitable running back wall that I'm saying he's going to hit. Once again, I'd rather be the first guy off the train than the last. What you got, Chicago boy? Crickets, crickets. Crickets? crickets you agree with me? Uh, let's see. Yeah, Are they Devin lighting Fox torches outside your apartment two. right now in Chicago? I live across from a fire station, so they're putting those things <laughs> out right away. If anybody's lighting torches, I'll tell you that for sure. Uh, you know, there's nothing good that you can see in Forte's numbers and think that they're going to be repeatable. I mean, I think he goes back to like the 12 point per game back he was possibly uh, before Trustman got to town. Trustman probably really helped, you know, Forte's career. Uh, in the last two years, he scored double-digit touchdowns, uh, you know, in both years, and he had only ever done that since his rookie season, and these are total touchdowns. Uh, you know, his rookie season, his numbers have pretty much all gone downhill except for when Forte got Trussman in town. His receiving numbers went through the roof that they're unlikely to do again. Uh, there's just nothing that excites me about Matt Forte, and people are just ranking him where he finished last year uh, and thinking he's still going to be a top 10 back. And, you know, I can still find a reason that he's going to finish number 10, but I'm not going to push my luck and bet on it. He's just not going to be a guy that's on my team whether it's standard or PPR, uh, I'm going to let somebody else draft the poison pill, uh, much like the Omira sheet contract that the Chicago Bulls got out of a few seasons back. Well, let me ask you this. Are you a guy, I brought up um, two guys that are both going to be starting the season 29. Are you a believer in the running back, you know, age 29, age 30 theory that they hit a wall? All when I talk about Justin Forsett. <laughs> But no, uh, not, I, I don't think there's a specific age. I think every guy is different. 
Uh, I think the amount of you know career workload has a lot to do with it. I think you know just physicality as a runner, um, speed. Forte never had much speed, so I'm not really worried about him. You know, falling off the athletic cliff. He's always been more of a smart type of runner rather than you know the speedy Jamal Charles type. Uh, I haven't seen Jamal Charles lose a step, and even if he lost the step from the four-two guy, he used to be—he's still a four-four guy. Uh, so that's what uh, I think. It depends on each specific player differently. I don't think there's just one number that is the end all and be all for running backs. Well, I, I think you got what one you, Bruin you big believer. Well, I, I kind of am. Certainly, there's the Adrian Peterson um, that does it, and uh, that can break that stereotype. But I think it's a combination uh, of age and the amount of carries they had. And when they do get dinged up, although these guys, the longer they're in the league, they actually do know how to take care of their body better. Um, you know, with the amount of impact. Uh, they're taking the amount of hits they're taking. Their their body just doesn't rebound as well when you get older, and so I, I think it's a combination of things that starts to settle in with the amount of years they've been in the NFL, the amount of carries they've had, and the age. But yeah, I think it's uh, true for more guys than it's. Um, than you're going to find the Adrian Peterson guy that can break that trend. So yeah, I'm kind of leery of guys that are turning 29 and, and 30. There's a bunch of them this year. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Russell Wilson. A little bit about my thoughts on Russell Wilson. Uh, so last season, he was, what, the 13th drafted quarterback. Uh, he ended up providing great value as he finished, you know, number three in a pretty standard scoring system with only uh, minus two for INTs and minus two for fumbles. There's a lot of stuff that says that is not repeatable. It's just not... He became, what, the fifth player to rush for uh, over 800 yards at the QB position. Uh, I think last season sold over 849 yards and six TDs, and that was, like, the fifth season in terms of yards uh, from the QB position. According to that touchdown dependency chart, 37.1% uh, of his points came from rushing, uh, which was pretty much higher than any other uh, quarterback last season, and it's just an insane number to think about. Uh, his career average in rushing yards before that was 504. Um, he had like an exact 50-yard uh, split between his first and second year of 489 to 539. Uh, so let me well, let me tell you something. Here is the five QBs who have. Uh, you know, rushed for, you know, there are six instances, but five QBs to have done it. Let me tell you what they did the next season. Uh, Vic, he had that record season in 2006 of 1,039 yards, uh, but unfortunately he didn't play the next year uh, for reasons we will not talk about on this podcast. Um, he had 902 in 2004, and the next year he had 597. Uh, Bobby, Lee, Bobby Douglas, a Chicago Bear, uh, a good friend of one of my friends uh, at the radio station here, um, rushed for nine, 968 yards in 1972, then 525 in 1973. Uh, Randall Cunningham, 
rushed for 942 in 1990, was injured in the first game of 1991, uh, and then in 1992 he rushed for 549 yards. Uh, everybody's much maligned Washington Redskin. His rookie year he surpassed uh, 800 yards with 815 yards uh, in 2012, and he got to 489 in 2013. Uh, Cam Newton, one of the best running quarterbacks of the generation, has never surpassed 741. So but what, what all this is telling me is when a quarterback rushes for over 800 yards, he does not do it again the next season, and he does not get over 600. And we're talking about the greatest running quarterback of all time in Michael Vick here, and Russell Wilson cannot hand, hand a candle to Michael Vick uh, in a race. Trust me, that. Uh, so yeah, everybody wants to have projections this time of year. Um, and here's another interesting thing that comes when the guy did not lose a fumble last season, but he fumbled 11 times according to NFL.com and according to Pro Football Reference, it was 13. And he did not lose a single fumble last time last season, which is, like, ridiculously, the odds say that that is never going to happen again. Uh, statistically, that's an anomaly. So, here's some things that, that scare me. He failed to throw for 200 yards uh, seven times last season, and one thing that he's talking about that scares the shit out of me is the guy took out an insurance policy on himself because... He doesn't have a long-term deal. So you think he wants to be throwing his body out there on every play, risking his injury? Uh, before a $100 million contract like Cam Newton got, no chance. I've, I'll tell you my projections for him after you kind of tell me what you think about the Russell Wilson first there, Mo. Uh, I'm with you. I do like Russell. I will say I like Russell Wilson more than Cam. I said Cam Newton had three games last year over 20 yards, or over 20 fantasy points. Russell Wilson had, I believe, seven. Plus, he had three games over 19. Russell Wilson, to me, is consistent. He's going to win you some weeks, and he's never going to lose you a week. You're going to be in it every time. Cam Newton is going to lose you some weeks, and give you maybe two, maybe three games that he's going to put you over the top, and those two or three games is the reason people like him and he finishes high. Cam, to me, is that aging runner that you're talking about that's not going to repeat. His body is breaking down. Russell, I still do think he avoids contact enough where he, he's going to be okay. Um, I don't think his, his rushing numbers will repeat, but he does have Jimmy Grant, so I think his tossing TDs might come up a little bit. Uh, I like him more than Cam, I'll say that. Okay. Well, that's fine. My, my projections for him account for all of those things. So I think he's going to complete 302 passes for 478 of his uh, throw for 3,776 yards, which would be a new career high throw 28 passing TDs would be a near new career high. Uh, I think his touch, his interception numbers will come up a little bit uh, with the more passing attempts. I think we'll throw 11 of those. Uh, rushing, I see 575 yards and four touchdowns. You're uh, talking about see. Russell? He scored six rushing. Oh, yeah. I think Russell, 
you know, he scored, what, I think he's got 11 career rushing TDs. Six of those came last season, uh, four of the season before that, and then one his rookie season. So you just got to think, this guy is not rushing for six TDs again. Uh, so I, I, I see him score, you know, four the next season. You know, four rushing TDs, um, 575 yards, and then he's going to lose about five fumbles. So that's going to put him at, like, uh, 312.54 fantasy points. Uh, and if it was last year, that would be QB3 again. Um, but I just think the position is going to go up uh, as a whole. I think we're going to have a 2012-like uh, QB year where there's you know six or seven guys up over 320 points uh, in standard scoring. Uh, I, I, yeah, what do you think I, about I that like your... insurance policy, though? Well, I don't think that shows um, any second-guessing on his part or any doubt in his mind. I think that shows some intelligence. He's in the freaking NFL, and the longer you're in it, the more money you're going to make. And if you are out of it, yeah, you're going to lose a bunch and might as well take out an insurance policy. Look at all these guys in college that take out these huge million-dollar policies. If they don't make it to the NFL, why not take out a policy? I don't. I don't think that is a is an indicator of any thing on his performance. Bad, I'm not saying it's a bad idea that he's taking out a policy. I'm just saying that it's more of a, hey, I'm not going to throw my ass out on the line as much because if I, I I'm going to get this hundred million dollar deal. So I do not think there he finishes in the top five this season. Do I think he's going to be terrible and fall off? The face of the earth, no. But I just don't think you're going to get him at a value uh, if you're drafting him in the third or fourth round. Right. That's I, just me. I agree. I don't think you're going to value there. And I tell you what, buddy, my insurance policy is uh, tonight, Founders Centennial IPA. This is my beer of beers. Um, as many of you remember, I used to work there at uh, Founders in the Tap Room, pouring brews. In fact, that's where I met my wife. We were both bartenders there. Uh, but I'm an IPA guy. Um, Centennial, it's uh, 7.2 alcohol contact, 65 IBUs. But the reason I really like it, it's uh, hoppy like an IPA should be. But they're one of the few that use uh, Centennial hops. That's where the name comes from. It is one of the most expensive, rarer hop. And it just gives it this really kind of citrusy finish that I think is fantastic. That's my insurance policy on most given days, Centennial IPA. And while I'm twisting your ears, uh, just to put in a pyro promo, you can follow me, Pyromaniacmo, P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O, on Twitter, and Pyromaniac uh, is at Pyromaniac, that's P-Y-R-O-M-A-N, the number one, A-C. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you can follow me there. Uh, I don't have my own Twitter. I'm trying for somebody to convince me to get me my own Twitter because they just want to follow me, but uh, I'll just stick and throw stuff in the mud for Pyro. Uh, until I decide that the time has elapsed to where I'm a big enough person to get my own. You've been putting some good stuff no, out on, uh, on Pyro. I notice when we get into the Twitter conversation, you've been putting some good stuff out. So, uh, yeah, I think you should jump in the Twitter sphere, buddy. Oh, uh, but then Pyro's going to lose a little bit. It's like, 
I'm providing the, the goo there. No, we're like, just growing the family. We're growing the goo. <laughs> growing the goo. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to toss this one over to you. We're trying to keep... This is episode one, ladies and gentlemen, so the goo will continue, but we're trying to keep pyro light. Basically, under an hour, we're about a little over an hour. Stags and I have all kinds of spotlights coming at you. We've got a little bit of an and in this corner argument for you. And we even have some rookies that we're going to highlight. Stags, you want to save that, or do you want to continue on? Let's, let's say here, but I've got to talk to you about Justin. Uh, that is like my guy of guys that I am throwing under the bus right now. Everybody keeps raising them up their boards, and it's like, can you provide a good reason why? And everybody's best reason why is is going to catch more passes under Mark Trestman. It's a fact. And I think that's great. Somebody's going to be catching more passes in a Trestman offense. I'm just not sure it's Justin Forsett. So what you think he's going to be a top 15 running back, Mo, so I'm going to let you lead this one off here. Earlier I said I was busting out the Karate Kid crane on you, and yeah. just fair warning, Forsett is one of my boys, and I have seen Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3, so I can kind of bring the fire if we, you know, meet by the monkey bars at three o'clock. I'm just, I'm ready. Is all I'm saying. I'm, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> Justin Forsett. All right, all right. Uh, are we talking like, are we talking about the new Karate Kid with like Jaden Smith? Are we talking about that like Ralph Macchio dude? dude well, Ralph Macchio is the Karate Kid with a capital T H E. But I've even seen the chick and the Fresh Prince's kid. I've, I've got the. Uh, I've got the kid catalog DVD, man. Watch that junk. <laughs> I right. think they should just qualify All me right, as, a, as a black belt just for seeing as many karate kids as I have. I think that qualifies. I'm just going to walk into my black belt <laughs> test, give them my DVD catalog, Cobra Kai, and then walk out of there. Drop the microphone and walk out. Anyway. All right, well. You, so you, you are you saying you want the rebuttal then? If you're just gonna walk, Justin Forsett. Justin Forsett. Finish this top fifteen. Now let me tell you. Um, although you threw this argument uh, sort of in my face uh, earlier with Jamal Charles, and I said if he took out his top five runs, he's gonna be below average. There were 19 running backs last season who recorded at least 100 carries and averaged more yards per carry than the average, which is the NFL average last year is 4.16. So there were only 19 backs better than the NFL average. They averaged better than 4.16 yards per carry. Which player could lose the most top number of carries and still be above the average yards per carry. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Forsett. You could throw out his top nine, and he is still above the league average. He rushed for 235 times for 1,267 yards last year. He averaged 5.39 yards per carry. Uh, Pro Football Focus rated him as the sixth best back last year. They rated him as the 12th most elusive back last year. Forsett finished as the eighth best fantasy back last year with 185.4 total points. 
Um, and he was 10th best in points per game with 12.6. Now, if you look at his game-by-game -game basis on his yards per carry, he averaged more than four yards per carry in his first 13 games. What does that spell? That spells consistency. He's not beefing up his numbers by having one outrageous game and then a couple stinkers. First 13 games, he did better than four He did better than the league average. He did better than four yards per carry in his first 13. In those 13, he put up double-digit fantasy points nine different times. I'm not always looking for a home run hitter, and I don't think Justin Forsett is a home run hitter, but you're going to plug him in, and he's never going to lose you. He's always going to win you. He's always going to be in the black. He's always going to give you the return. Uh, in the six seasons, he's carried the ball in the NFL. Uh, he didn't get. He's been in the NFL seven years. He didn't get a carry in his rookie season. So in the six years he's had carries, he averaged at least five yards per carry four years and at least four yards per carry five of the six. Now Buck Allen, everyone's talking about Buck Allen, uh, the rookie. I don't really think Buck Allen is going to have that much of an impact. In fact, uh, Rotowire said they predicted five to eight touches per game. Not even talking carries, and everyone knows they kind of drafted him for his catching ability. So we're only talking five to eight touches being taken away. Uh, Talia Farrow, heck, did that last year. They were having some running back by committee last year, so I don't think that really even factors in the five point eight that or five to eight touches that Buck Allen might take away. Um, I think Allen's going to be a change of pace back at best to begin this season. Um, his ADP, four sets, ADP is 12th running back off the board. He's going at the end of the second, you know, start of the third. And here's what you brought up that everyone is bringing up, right? Tressman Forte had a career year with Tressman. I don't see why anything else would happen. I'm not saying that Forsett is going to have a career year, but I'm saying Forsett is perfectly capable of having that amazing yards per carry, which he's had uh, better than five yards per carry four of the six seasons he's been in the league. I still think he can do that, and he's going to increase his uh, receiving game with Tressman there. He is only going to improve upon what we saw last year. And, man, given the eye test... Uh, that dude runs hard, and he has been. I've been pulling for him for a long time to finally get some carries, uh, and I've always seen him um, fill in some time in Seattle. He looked great. He just never had the opportunity, and now he does. I really like him. I'm sticking with him. Bring the so, ruckus, yeah. Chicago. Bring the ruckus, Chicago. All right. <laughs> uh Hey, Mo, how many career receiving touchdowns does Forsett have? Career receiving touchdowns? Oh, yeah, in his career. Well, I can tell and you I'm in two shakes of a lamb's tail, Justin Forsett. Oh, yeah, one. Carry the four, a rope and pulley. Uh, let me get my abacus. Yes, one. Oh, that's impressive, right? And everybody's expecting him to be this, you know, third down back. And he's been kicked out of the third down back role uh, more times than I can count. Uh, you know, teams just do not want him back there on third down, and that's why they drafted a guy to replace him. One of the reasons is he's a terrible blocker. Uh, another reason is he's a terrible receiver. Uh, second lowest yards per catch number in the league last season. 
Uh, he almost averages more yards per carry than per reception, which is ridiculous. His yards per catch number on his career is seven. He's a 29-year-old running back, and he's got a career 71.6 catch rate, which is, like, eh, average for a running back. Uh, his yards per target number last season, 4.46, which is one of the absolute worst numbers in the league. Uh, teams just have soured on him after a little while uh, because he doesn't do certain things well. And the one thing he does well is run in a zone-blocking scheme. Will they, they say they're going to have some zone-blocking scheme principles this year, but it's still a Mark Trustman offense, which is a West Coast offense with some zone running schemes and some power run schemes. Uh, you know, so you got to think there's going to be a little bit regression there. Uh, his, 12, his 1,266 yards last season are 43% of his career total, and he's been in the league how many seasons did you say? Seven? He scored half of his touchdowns. Uh, last season, half of his career touchdowns last season, and do you really think he's going to reach eight touchdowns again uh, from a 195-pound player when they have Lorenzo Talafiero there, uh, who they used a lot to carry the rock and goal line uh, situations? So, you know, Talafiero is going to get the you know goal line work. Buck Allen potentially splitting. We'll call it splitting. You know, third down work, and then, you know, for seconding it on every other first and second, splitting it here and there with the other guys. And there's no way out of Kubiak's offense that this offensive line plays as well as they did last season. Uh, the season before that, you know, remember Ray Rice kind of averaged like, what, 2.9 yards a carry? Uh, I just do not see Forsett becoming the player uh, everyone wants him to be. And it's only because there's not that many good running backs out there, so you're throwing in your hat on Justin Forsett, expecting him to be the player that um, Steve Slayton was after his 1,000-yard season or any of these guys who have been great in the Kubiak run offense. You talk about you know, Talia Farrow being the red zone guy. Force, I mean, he, he was a red zone guy last year. Uh, four set, red zone. And rushes, he was 50%, and passing, he was 6.5. I still see him getting at least 50% of the rushes in the red zone. I, 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 Tyler is not going to get more than that, and Buck Allen was drafted as a pass catcher. And although he's only had one pass catching touchdown, um, Rushing-wise, he only, uh, on the touchdown dependency chart, he was only about 24% on um, TDs. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's going to break the bank on receptions. He had 59 last year. But when Tressman first arrived... 59 uh, targets. 59 targets. When Tressman first arrived in Chicago, I believe four sets, targets went up. Uh, 30, and then they just skyrocketed the next year. So even mm -hmm. if we're talking 89 targets, that's going to be fantastic. He is going to improve on what he did last year. I just don't see that. What's different? Buck Allen and, and Mark Tressman. Tressman is 
going to have a far greater impact than Buck Allen is going to have a negative impact on four sets numbers. But you're not subtracting the Gary Kubiak uh, part of the equation. Um, outside of Gary Kubiak's system, um, Forsett's been nobody. Outside of his own blocking scheme... He was I never given the got, chance. What do you have, like in... Uh, how many more chances do you need to be a third down back, which is what they want you to be at 195 pounds? Uh, and, you know, in Seattle, what do you have... You know, 260 carries or so, and you know, pretty good numbers. But I, there's no way he's in Seattle. He had like 160 some carries total. 115 in 2009. Don't see that he's going to be able to replicate the season without Kubiak. Kubiak is a zone-blocking guru, and he knows the guys that are going to do great in it. And he took this offensive line from being one of the worst units in the league in 2013 the league in 2014. And last time I checked, the Chicago Bears' offensive line, not that great. Look, at he's had over five yards of carry. Uh, 2009, 2012, 2013, 2014. Almost every year, four of the six, he's carried the ball. And if you extrapolate those numbers, so, I mean, 2009, 114 attempts. Well, last year he had 235. Both years he had 5.4. So if you give him over 200 carries, he's still going to be toting the rock, chances are, over five yards a carry. And now with Trestman, Trestman's going to at least give him 200 yards a carry or 200 carries, and he's going to increase his receiving numbers. I do not think he's going to get 200 carries. Uh, I just don't see him as a volume back. Nobody else has seen him as a volume back, and the only reason he wasn't Pierce, uh, epically terrible, and you know Talfiero was a rookie. So let's see. I'm not going to spend a second round pick on Justin for that. Yeah, it, it's a, I hear you. ADP wise, second round, he's going end second, beginning of third. I'm hoping he kind of falls. Um, that's something we didn't get to tonight. Maybe we'll get to in our next episode, but we can talk some uh, draft strategy. Z zero, Q uh, zero RB or late round QB when we're going to be taken, guys. But you're right. Second round is a bit pricey to pay for four set, if you ask me. Um, I'm ho I'm hoping he falls. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, you, even if you want to go with zero running back strategy, uh, you're not getting Justin Forsett. Correct. That's how high his ADP is. Yeah, and I know. that is insane. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's all I got. I, I wouldn't mind. I would love I having him as my. If, if I'm if I'm taking a running back in round one and a top tier wide receiver round two, if Justin Forsett is there in the third, I'm happy. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Go there. Have Lamar Miller. Oh, all day on Forsett, if you ask me. All day on Forsett. Well, right. Stags. We'll talk about that one head to head. I like it. I'm going to queue up some uh, Karate Kid Part 2. 
with the drum thing, and I'm going to be ready for you. Sweep the leg, sweep the leg. All right, well. All right, man. Well, we've got some good stuff lined up for the next time. Um, some stuff we didn't get to, but like I said, this is episode one. Bear with us, ladies and gentlemen, but we're going to try to bring you some more regimented segments. But uh, next time, we're going to spotlight some rookies. Uh, we're going to continue this sort of uh, end-in-this-corner uh, debates and do a lot of news and notes, player highlights, and I think bring you some ADP examinations. Um, and then once we get the season rolling, like I said, we're going to be doing it on Fridays, try to give you some of the most up-to-date, accurate info so you can set your lineups uh, by the time Sunday rolls around. So Stags Episode 1 is in the books, man. This was a pleasure. As always. All right, folks, Pyromaniacs, uh, as usual, you can catch the boys 52 weeks a year uh, doing the Pyro podcast. Stags is... Uh, He's, he is like the James Brown of fantasy football. He's the hardest working man in fantasy football. You can see him there as well. I'm Pyromaniac Mo. Catch me on Twitter and on uh, episode two of Pyro Light. And uh, we will be featuring some of the boys, uh, Dogmatica and D-Rex and Houdini, maybe even get Valverde over here, uh, have them uh, correlate with us on Pyro Light. Thank you for bearing with us, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you the next time around.